Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. Yesterday, we went to the Alabama-Tennessee game in Tuscaloosa. Avery, my daughter, had never been to a game before, and it was my son's birthday, and a friend gave us tickets in a great spot, a great location. We had a wonderful view of the game. We were close to the field. We had screens all around us. We could see the action. We had a really good time. It was a great day uh, that we enjoyed as a family. Many years ago, I went to an Alabama game in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans in the Dome. And we get there, not overly familiar with the Dome. I'm not sure where my seats are. And we begin to climb stairs. And our seats were at the very top of the Dome in New Orleans. In fact, we were almost up against the back wall. I have never been so high in a stadium in my entire life. In fact, it felt like if you leaned over in your seat that you would just fall onto the field and that would be the end of you. It was unbelievable. Well, the team comes out on the field to kick off the Sugar Bowl and I quickly realized that I can barely see them. I cannot even make out the numbers on the jerseys. And the jumbotron is on the other side of the field. And my eyes are not great. And so it was significantly challenging. And midway through the first quarter, I just became detached from the game. I couldn't see the players. I couldn't make out their jersey numbers. The jumbotron on the other side was hard to follow and it was just not a great experience. I was not invested and at that point because of all of those issues I didn't care and I was ready to go. I was ready for the game to be over. It just dramatically affected my participation and my involvement. I lost interest. And as I was thinking about our text this morning, there's something very significant that you see in verse 1 of chapter 9, and then you see it again in verse 8 of chapter 9, and it's this. Your God, our God, has not lost interest in us because our text is telling us that He sees us. He sees us clearly. He has the best seat of all from the throne room of heaven as the creator of all the universe to observe His people. His eye is always on us. And we see that clearly unfolded in chapter 9. God is not and never will lose interest in His people. He sees you. Now, I've told you over the last couple of weeks that we are moving into the second half 
of Zechariah. Chapters 1 through 8 represent the first half. Chapters 7 and 8 in particular serving as a hinge that's turning and moving us in the direction of the rest of the book. And so the question changes as we approach chapter 9. In 1 through 8, in particular 1 through 6, it's, and you've heard this many times, rebuild the temple and commit yourself to spiritual renewal. Beginning in verse 9, what is being asked by the nation of Israel is, what will take place once the temple is completed? Construction has resumed. We see it taking forth, taking place in front of us. There is peace among the hostile nations of the world so that we can carry out this task. When it's done, and you return in all your glory, and your name is proclaimed on the high and holy hill that is Mount Zion, what next? What then? And what we're going to learn in 9-14 through 14 is Zechariah is going to reveal to the nation of Israel that the kingdom of God is coming. That the kingdom of God is going to happen. That His reign and His rule over all things and, his, and all people will transpire. Be patient. Continue, continue in your efforts to rebuild the temple. Continue in terms of spiritual renewal. Dedicate yourself to the Lord. Dedicate yourself to covenant obedience. The kingdom of God is coming. Have hope. Have hope. But we also see in chapters 9 through 14 something else that's very important to understand. It will be challenging. And the way in which we can understand this is the construction of the temple. They return from exile, it is in ruins, the city is a pile of rubble. And God has told them what they are to do, the task that they are to carry out. And it's hard and it's difficult, it's challenging, it's backbreaking. They are fearful, they are anxious, they even stall for a period of time in terms of their responsibility. This is very challenging for the people of God. But when it's done, when it's complete, it will be absolutely, positively glorious. The temple has returned. This is the location, this is the place where God dwells on earth with His people. This temple is a reflection of the more glorious temple that resides in heaven. It connects God with His people and this temple is to be a sign to the watching world how great Yahweh truly and really is. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be really strenuous to do this, to build it, to finish it. But the payoff is going to be immense. It's going to be incredible. And so Zechariah is telling Israel the same things in chapters 9 through 14. What is going to happen when the temple is complete? Well, the kingdom of God is coming. But the coming of the kingdom also means that it will be challenging. It will be hard. It will be like building the temple. 
So we think about our text, verses 1 through 8. And you see a lot of names of foreign countries and foreign nations, some that we are not familiar with. In fact, there's one nation that's mentioned in our text that's mentioned nowhere else in the Bible. But we know from ancient Assyrian text that that country existed and that they did exist during the time in which Israel had returned from exile. And so God is speaking through Zechariah to His people and He's telling them that get ready, I'm on the move, I have great things in store for you. Prepare your hearts for the coming of the kingdom of God. I am going to put the nations that have been a challenge to you in the past in their rightful place. Because I am the sovereign God who is rules over all things. I can do this. I can bring the kingdom of God into existence for you. And so, in mentioning Ashkelon and Gaza and Ekron and Ashdod, he is referring to the Philistines. These are the cities that belong to, to the Philistinian nation. Damascus represents Syria. Tyre and Sidon represent Phoenicia. And so... At the moment, these nations do not pose a threat to Israel. He's already addressed Egypt to the south, and he's already addressed Babylon to the north, and of course Babylon has been conquered by Persia, and he's addressed that as well. And so now he's helping them understand his plan for them as his covenant people and the coming of the kingdom and these smaller nations that are all around them. But I want you to pay very careful attention to verse 1 of chapter 9. The word of the Lord has been spoken to the nations and Israel. The text, the Hebrew, is insinuating that there is a connection between God Himself and His Word. And that's an important reminder for us as we gather together each Lord's Day, as we come to this place for covenant worship. There is no dichotomy that exists between God as He rules over heaven and earth and His Word. They are connected. And so that when we come before the Word of the Lord, when we submit ourselves to the Word of the Lord, we are actually and really and truly Hearing from Him. He is speaking to us. And He is wanting Israel to understand this. In verse 1, He's communicating to them, pay attention, I am truly talking to you. And that's exactly what happens here each Lord's Day through the Marvelous work of the Holy Spirit when we come together as a church family. The Lord is saying, I really am speaking to you. I really am talking to you. That God uses His Word 
in our souls to shape us and to form us and to mold us to be more like Christ. That His Word going forth is how people come to faith. That His Word is how we learn to obey Him, to follow after Him, to know Him, to know truth. And so this is a significant thing that we are reminded of in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1. There is no separation between the Lord God and His Word. I'll let that be an encouragement to you this morning. And so we see in verse 1 that He is saying, Be aware, I am taking action. You want to know what is going to happen when the temple is finished? I am bringing to you the kingdom of God. Slowly, as we learn in the New Testament, and surely, as we also learn in the Gospels, in the New Testament. So be aware, I am taking action. I have a plan for you. I am aware of these smaller nations that surround you and the hostilities that they perhaps represent. No one is going to topple me. No nation is going to be greater than me. No nation is going to be a threat for you because I have my eyes on you. You are my people. I am your God. I have a plan. This is what I'm doing. You want to know what I'm doing? This is what I'm doing. Now look in verse 8. I'm going to read to you the New Living Translation because I think that it helps better under I think it helps helps you and me better understand what that verse is trying to communicate. This is what it says. I will guard my temple and protect it from invading armies. I am watching closely to ensure that no more foreign oppressors overrun my people's land. That, no more. That, no more. When you look at it in the Hebrew, it is communicating finality and intervention. A day is coming when foreign oppressors will no more overrun the land of promise. These foreign nations will no longer trample you underfoot. I'm taking action. I am rising from my throne. I am about to do something great for you. I am bringing the kingdom of God and that is going to change everything. They ask the question, What's going to happen when the temple is finished and the Lord rises and He speaks and He lets them know that He has a great plan for His people. That His promises, the ones that He made with Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David will not be thwarted. They will come to fruition they will be realized that He is indeed the God of promise. Hear me speak. Trust in my words. This is what I am going to do to you. Verse 1, pay attention. Verse 8, it will happen. It will take place. I am intervening. And it will be final. This is what I am 
I'm doing for you. And so we look at this passage and we ask the question, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for Trinity? And I think there's there's two things. Number one, you see in this passage the eyes of the Lord. In verse 1 and in verse 8, He reminds Israel that His eyes are on them. I talked about this briefly in the children's message. Secondly, that the Lord's hands are strong. Where do I see that? Well, you see it in verse 8, that He is going to protect His people from foreign oppressors. He's going to protect them so so that the kingdom may go forth, so that the kingdom may not be challenged and it may not be crushed. And so His hands are strong because He is the protector of His people. Verse 1, For the Lord has an eye on mankind and on all the tribes of Israel. Let us not forget this morning, Trinity, that God watches over His people. He is watching over you right now. It's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to believe. But that He is a loving Father who cares for you and His eyes are forever on you. So yesterday, it dawned on me how my children have grown. That John Hunter's birthday was yesterday. He turned 13. Avery is 16. Avery had her cell phone with her. I no longer, as we navigated through the crowd, had to keep my eye on them. We were in a hurry. We needed to get to our gate. We were running behind. I just took off like a madman. And because of their age and because of communication through the cell phone, I knew they would find me. They would somehow stay behind me. And as I'm trekking across the campus, it did dawn on me my how times have changed. Because I can remember those days not too long ago where I'm behind them like this and I am fearful at any moment I might lose my son or my daughter in a crowd of 90,000 people. And I'll never find them again. Now we know that's probably not true, but we have those fears as a parent. And so my eye is always on them. Wish I could just tie a rope around them so I could just bring them back. And when we come to our text this morning and we are reminded regarding the eyes of the Lord, He is our loving Father and we are His children. And He's not walking in front of us hoping that we can follow and if not, maybe call Him and find Him. No, no, no. He is shepherding us and He is guiding us and His hands are on us and He's protecting us and He's gently leading us home. Matthew 10, 28-31 And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, 
you are more value than many sparrows. That's your Savior speaking. You are more value to your Father than anything. Yes, Israel, He is watching over you. Yes, Trinity, He is watching over you in the good and in the bad. Let's take comfort in that. Secondly, He watches over His church. We have seen throughout Zechariah that He has a special attention for His covenant people. I have chose you before the I chose you before the foundation of the world. I placed my love upon you before the foundation of the world. I care for you. I have a special attention just for you. I am watching over you. And we see in our passage in these first eight verses that God is working through history and He's working through nations to protect His very special people. So not only is God attentive to us and our needs, not only is He watching over us as our loving Father, but know that as we gather together in this place, it's just a new church plant. Small group of people. That He is watching over us. He's directing us by His Word. And He's watching over us. What does that mean? It means we praise Him. And we honor Him. And we love Him. Because He is here. And He is present in a way that we cannot humanly comprehend. Let that be an encouragement to you each Lord's Day as you walk through those doors. I'm not coming to a less than attractive gym, let's be honest. I'm not coming to set up and take down. I'm not coming to a building that slightly smells like the chlorine in the swimming pool. I'm entering into the presence of a loving Father who is saying, I'm here Come be with me. Let that be a comfort to you. And then thirdly, He watches over His whole creation. I mean, it's apparent when you look at Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1-8, through that not only is He watching Israel, but He is watching over the nations of the world. I mean, it says it back in verse 1. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and on the tribes of Israel. How do we understand that? How do we find comfort and peace in that? The answer is God is sovereign. He sees all. He knows all. He is in control of all things. And so you've come to this place this morning and you've come with a whole host of issues and you come with a whole host of problems, concerns, fears, anxieties, struggles. Rest in the knowledge that your God sees all things and is in control of all things. Jerry Bridges, the noted author, says this, No plan of God's can be thwarted. When He acts, no one can reverse it. No one can hold back His hand or bring Him to account for His actions. God does as He pleases, only as He pleases, and works out every event to bring about the accomplishment of His will. 
such a bare, unqualified statement of the sovereignty of God would terrify us if that were all we knew about God. But God is not only sovereign, He is perfect in love and infinite in His wisdom. Your God sees all and knows all and He is in control of all. And whatever we face, whatever goes on in the world, we can know that it is not happened apart from His knowledge. And whatever it is, we can also know that His love for us is perfect. As challenging and hard as that may be. So the eyes of the Lord are always over us and His strong hands are protecting us. Verse 8, again back to the New Living Translation. I will guard my temple and protect it from invading armies. I am watching closely to ensure that no more foreign oppressors overrun my people's land. Well, wait a second. Hold on. The temple was destroyed again after the time of Jesus. And foreign oppressors ran over Jerusalem and ran over God's people. In fact, when Jesus was born, who was in control of the Middle East? It was Rome, not Israel. There was not a Davidic king on the throne. So how do we understand this as God's people today? And it's simply this. That in raising Jesus from the dead, He has raised the more perfect temple. In raising Jesus from the dead, He has given us the final prophet, the final priest, and the final king. And through the ministry of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, He is guarding us and protecting us. And His Word promises us that He will safely bring us home. Our enemies will not have the best of us. Our trials and tribulations will not have the best of us. John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me and I will never let them go. The eyes of the Lord are always on you. And His strong hands, those strong hands of Jesus will always guard you. They will always protect you. They are leading you safely home. Take that to heart, Trinity. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You that Your Word never fails. That You are speaking directly to us words of love, words of comfort, and words of hope. Increase the worship that exists in our souls. Increase the love in our hearts for You. Increase in us love of others and Your church. Thank You for watching us. Thank You for caring for us. Thank You for protecting us. It's in the name of Your Son we pray. Amen.